Well, good morning again. It is great to be here. Way back in 1964, 10 years before I was born, Jim Marshall became famous for the wrong thing. He was a defensive end for the Minnesota Vikings when in a game he picked up a fumble and ran 66 yards into the end zone. The only problem was it wasn't his end zone. Instead of scoring six points for him and for the Vikings, he scored two points for the 49ers. His wrong way run was the wrong thing. It's reported that a guy named Roy Regals, also infamous for a wrong way run, sent him a letter stating, welcome to the club. That's not the club you or I want to be in, is it? Friends, knowing what the goal is, is vitally important. And knowing where it is, is essential, right? And this is what Jesus is uh, getting at in the midst of this section of Luke where he's on the way to Jerusalem, he's on the way to the cross, he's on the way to forgiving us our sins uh, through the blood, through pouring out of his blood, through his death and resurrection. He's about teaching us what the goal is of the kingdom of God. What it's like and how it works. And most importantly, how do we get there? Now, if you are a sports fan, you've probably been enjoying some of this weird sports that we've been getting lately. Empty arenas, basketball with little faces of people popped up from their Zoom cameras, etc. Yesterday, I watched a game of soccer. And it was my favorite team, uh, Chelsea. And it is important for them to know what the point of the game is, right? The point of the game is not to run around on grass. The point of the game is to take the ball and put it between the post and under the crossbar, right? That's how you score. And unfortunately, Chelsea seems to have forgotten this. And they lost 6-1. to one. Um, But these are the rules. And every sport is defi- has defined the way in which people score. And in this passage that we read this morning, Jesus gives us an explanation of how we score, what the point is, what the goal is in the kingdom of God. It's an explanation of what he's about and what we should expect when the kingdom of God comes to us. And it's something he's been communicating from the very beginning of his ministry. Back in Mark chapter 1, he says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And later when he's at Peter's mother-in-law's house and and he's healing everybody and he, he leaves and they want him to come back and he says that he must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. This is why I came. This is what I was sent for. And so he moved on, bringing the kingdom of God and inviting everyone to enter through him. Now, in our passage this morning, his audience had certain expectations of what the Messiah, what the Savior was going to bring. They expected that the kingdom would come and that God would fulfill his promise to set a king on David's throne. That's the famous King David of Israel, right? And that who was promised that his throne would last forever. His kingdom would last forever. And so the Jewish folks were expecting this person to come and fulfill this promise. 
But what they had come to expect really was a temporal king. What they had come to hope for was someone who would set them free from Rome's oppressive rule and to restore Israel, to restore them to their former national glory. And their question, their, 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 their sort of debate in their culture and in their religious circles will, is this, will it ever come? Will that kingdom ever be consummated? And we have some expectations as well. But what about this? What if our expectations like the Jewish folks at Jesus' time, expectations about the kingdom of God, what if our expectations actually leave us short of that very kingdom? What if you're running like Jim Marshall to the wrong end zone? See, every human being is searching for meaning in life. We're searching for significance uh, for our purpose. We're searching for a future, right? And we try to fulfill it in hundreds, if not thousands of different ways. Perhaps you're a high school student or an elementary student or a middle school student and you're already working on a great college application because the college that you get into is going to make the difference. Or how many jobs have you taken because they are bigger and better and offer more profit to your family? Or how much stuff do we own? I mean, good grief. I don't know if you figured this out about staying at home for the last uh, for the last half year, but I sat around and I'd just be working away and I'd just look around and I'd go, man, we have a lot of stuff. And you just have to look at the number of, of storage unit places that are being built. I mean, everybody's got lots of stuff. And the thing is, is that we want more. See, these things, broadly speaking, are the desires of our heart. But they don't get us what we really need. They don't get us a relationship with God, which is what you and I were designed to have. And so Jesus begins to describe what the kingdom of God is like. He's using five different metaphors. To be honest, each one of these could be its own sermon but I'm going to just try to treat them very quickly, all right? And in the order in which they come. The first one, what is the kingdom like? Jesus asked in verse 18. First, it's like a mustard seed, which though very, very small, when planted in the man's garden, grows to be the biggest tree in the garden. Just notice three things here. First, the seed is the kingdom. And the kingdom, like the seed, has great potential. The kingdom must also be planted in your garden. And the kingdom will ultimately bless other people. Here that's symbolized by the birds roosting in the tree. You see birds come in and they are blessed to have this place to roost. The kingdom bears fruit. The second thing Jesus likens it to, the second metaphor is yeast or leaven. That when put inside a little bit, when put inside a large amount of flour, will make it all rise. And it shows us that the kingdom must come from the outside and be put inside, internalized, that a small amount will affect every area of your life. And there's another fruitful expectation, right? Bread is sustaining. 
right? It is life-giving. The kingdom of God is meant to expand throughout every area of your life. And then Jesus uses a third, introduces a third image, a door, a narrow door by which we are able to enter the kingdom. And then finally, the, or fourth, there's a party, right? Or a banquet. And we learn that in the kingdom of God, there will be people inside the party, reclining at the table, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then people from all nations. That's what north and south and east and west symbolizes that people, not just Jewish people, will be at the table, right? And then there will be people on the outside wanting to get in after the door is closed, only to find the door not opening, right? So those are four ways of describing the kingdom. And in the midst of this description of the kingdom of God, Jesus gives only one admonition to the crowd. It's there in verse 24. And since he's only giving us one instruction, it's pretty important that we pay attention to it. Would you agree? Right? It's there in verse 24, and he says this, Strive to enter in through the narrow door. See, he's responding to somebody who wants to know about the kingdom. Say, Jesus, how many people? Will it be a few or a lot? And what Jesus says is, don't worry so much about the, the, the mechanism of the kingdom or about the data of the kingdom, but make sure that you're in the kingdom. That's what he's saying. Jesus is saying the most important thing here is about salvation. Strive to enter in. And that means striving, uh, the word means wholehearted action, putting your whole effort into it. It's also the word uh, that we get the word agonize from. We should agonize over entering the kingdom of God. God's desire is for you to be with Him. There's a great pastor named uh, Tozer, A.W. Tozer, and he put it this way, God takes great pleasure, great pleasure, in having a helpless soul come to Him simply, plainly, and intimately. He takes great pleasure in having us come to Him. And this is the core message of the gospel of Jesus Christ overall, and it's the message this morning. God wants you, God wants you to be with Him. What Jesus is doing throughout His ministry, throughout His uh, incarnation coming to be with us, is He is bringing the kingdom of God to the world so that He might bring the world to the kingdom of God. That's his purpose. That is why he came. The purpose of the kingdom of God is to bring, for Jesus to bring the world to God. It's not so that you and I become better people, although arguably if you follow Jesus, you put your trust in him. Put your trust in him. If you believe in him and, and receive the Holy Spirit, you will become better people in a godly way. It's not that you will have greater significance, though it's likely if you devote yourself to being his disciple, you will have greater significance. And it's not only, but it's likely that you will have, it is certain that you will have a better future with Jesus. 
Jesus comes into the world. He dies for you. He rises again so that by faith and belief in Him, you might enter the kingdom of God. God wants you to be with Him. And Jesus is the door by which you enter. It is His great pleasure when you come to Him. You, friends, and everybody else out there are His beloved creation. And when sin had brought you down, when it brought you and made you subject to death, God sent His Son so that you might have life. So that you might have eternal life. Ultimately, that's why you search for meaning. It's because death has a grip on you outside of Christ. It's why you build up little kingdoms. Because we know that we'll all die. And we want to have significance. And we figure if we have something to pass on to our kids, or we have a, a reputation or a legacy, or we did things or built things or said things or wrote things, that that will make us significant. The good news for you, the good news for your children, the good news for your neighbors, the good news for the whole dang world is this, that God wants you to be with Him. Friends, Jesus, Jesus is the door. And He's the one who's going to let you in to the kingdom. He says this throughout the the. The Gospels, right? Uh, just look at the book of John for a minute. The Gospel of John in, in uh, John 3.17, it says, For God did not send His Son to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through Him. In John 10.9, I am the door, Jesus says. If anyone enters by Me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then in John 14, you only get, it to, the, you only get to God the Father through the Son. That's what Jesus says. Jesus, He's the door by which we find forgiveness of sin and life abundant. Now, if you were to walk around that building, which you can't because we have this very heavy-duty caution tape, you would find that the front door of our traditional building here is red. And this one's not so narrow, but over you go over to Sullivan's Island, the the one side of the door is pretty narrow. You gotta kind of work, you know, kind of make sure you slide through. The door is red because it symbolizes this very passage. It symbolizes this reality that we have to go through the door, and the door is Jesus, and Jesus secures for us by His blood, the forgiveness of sins, because He died on the cross, because He went down into the grave, because His life was sucked out of Him, because our sins were put on Him, you and I can, through faith, find forgiveness. See, this is the good news of the Gospel, is that God wants you to find forgiveness. By His sacrifice on the cross, your sins are forgiven. Jesus says this. He says, enter through me. Enter by my blood. Enter to eternal life. Years ago, 15 years ago, I sat by my mom's bed while she was dying, and I, and I read to her John 10. She was in the moments of dying. 
and I, and I read that verse that I read a minute ago about Jesus is the door and, uh, and his sheep come in and out and find rest, right? And when I got to that place, I said, Mom, when you hear Jesus' voice, when you know his voice, because you've known it your whole life, when he says, come in, come in and find life. In an incredibly beautiful moment, God brought her home just then. It is only through the blood of Christ, it's only through His door that we find real life. And it gives us hope. Hope that is so incredible. So incredible. This is why Jesus says, strive to enter in. Strive to enter in. And the reality is this, is striving is not so much about earning. It's not... Uh, meriting the kingdom. You don't earn it. It's still external coming in like the yeast. It's salvation must be like the seed planted in your garden so that it grows up. It's still a door that is Jesus that only He opens. It cannot be earned. So what then? Tozer says this, God takes pleasure in having us come to Him, right? He goes, this is the kind of Christianity that doesn't draw big crowds. It draws only those whose hearts are set on God. Only those who want God more than they want anything else in the world. Only those who seek a spiritual experience that comes from knowing God for yourself. These folks know that they could have everything stripped away, but still have God. That's what it means to strive. And this morning, how do we apply that? Well, one way you can apply it is to receive Jesus. Perhaps, I presume, because most of you are sitting here in 90 degree heat, many of you already know Jesus. Praise God. You've entered in through Him by faith. But I ask you a couple of questions. Where do you spend your most time and effort? If it's not on God and His kingdom, then... Striving means to make Him the number one priority in your life. Another question is, where do your thoughts most go? To strive is to want God more than anything else. Do your thoughts go to money and possessions and planning leisure trips? All of those are mine, by the way. Those are things that I like to think about. But when those idols pop up, Striving means to turn to Christ and to set your heart on Him and to want Him more than all those other things. So friends, will you enter the narrow door? It begins by saying this, I believe in Jesus. Forgive me my sin, Jesus. I'd like to come in, Jesus. You can come in and be saved. You can come in and be saved. And you can recline at a table where all of the bounty of heaven will be yours. And that is good news, my friends. Jesus says, strive and enter through the narrow door. Come in and be saved. God wants you to be with him. Let us pray. Father, I do thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to learn a hundred different things about the kingdom before you make us acceptable, that you have opened the door and that you have made it open for us to come in. Lord, help us fully, completely to come in 
and help us fully and completely to invite others in as well. In Jesus' name we pray.